Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're doing fine on this, whenever the heck it is you're listening. I'm doing pretty good. It is a cool, crisp fall morning here in Portland, Oregon, which I know is why many of you tune into this podcast for my sporadic, vague weather reports. I saw Thor Ragnarok the other night. That was real fun. You guys have probably seen that. Some movie has got a, that guy Thor in it. Pretty good. I really enjoyed it. I, th- I think you should check it out if you haven't already. Hardly groundbreaking analysis, but I feel like it's probably as close as we're going to get to a Defenders movie, which was pretty cool because, you know, it's got Valkyrie and the Hulk and Doctor Strange in it. And that was that was fun. I enjoyed that. And it was also pretty weird. So, you know, had that too. Ooh, and I think Jeff Goldblum would make a great Nighthawk. What else? Oh, the other day I uh, I got up early and was tired of my hair being in my face and found one of Lisa's old hair ties sitting around. And so I tied my hair back into a shitty little ponytail and Lisa came downstairs and saw me and was appropriately disturbed and said, where is my husband? And I responded by saying, I don't know, lady, I'm just here to karate some bricks, which is what I feel like whenever I have my hair tied back into a shitty ponytail, like a guy who is just here to karate some bricks or possibly menace Jan Michael Vincent if he's around. Well, I'd menace him. Ah, I got a shitty little ponytail, you know, that kind of thing. So that was fun. Let's see. You know what? I think that's enough of an intro. I had some pet peeves I wanted to talk about, but I don't want to go full Andy Rooney. I'll save that for another intro. Oh, the full Rooney. That would be a good movie. Like a sequel to The Full Monty, but where you get on stage and then you get all naked and then you just say, Kids today! Everything they do is terrible, but we were great! I actually like Andy Rooney. I think he's a talented man, but... Wait, no, I don't like Andy Rooney. Why am I pretending to like Andy Rooney more than I do? He's fine. All right, let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Oh, there was actually a part in Thor Ragnarok where Jeff Goldblum says, uh, without any further ado, and I was like, no, 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 no. I was so worried he was going to say, let's, uh, do this, and then everybody would think I was ripping off Jeff Goldblum, and I'm not, you know, and that aspect. Uh, Okay. Anyway, without any further ado, let's uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. A hostess fruit pie is a villain tempting treat. A pie made out of steel is something no one should eat. A pie made of farts, Corey might say, is delish. A pie made of plots is a synopsis. Thanks, Devin. Although to be fair, as I believe I've explained before, Corey doesn't think farts are delicious. I just think that he should eat them out of courtesy. All right. Defenders, number 21, March 1974. Enter the Headmen. Written by Steve Gerber, drotted by Sal Buscema, with inks by Sal Trapini. Lettered by John Costanza, colored by G. Russos, and edited by Len Wein. Defensive lineup. Valkyrie. Doctor Strange. The Hulk. Nighthawk. The Thing but only in the first panel of the first page. 
previously in The Defenders. As guardian asshole Amora the Enchantress jammed the fully formed personality and powers of a badass warrior named Valkyrie into the body of mystically insane former cult member Barbara Norris. After joining the Defenders for a baker's dozen of issues, Valkyrie decided to embark on a journey of self-discovery to learn more about the woman Barbara Norris had been before the Enchantress wiped her malfunctioning hard drive and installed Valkyrie. The sorcerously Scandinavian sword slinger's sojourn took her to the town of Cobbler's Roost, Vermont. Then a whole bunch of bullshit involving a cosmic harmonica happened. That's right, I said a cosmic harmonica, and it was just as nonsensical as it sounds. The thing got drawn into this Mad Libs of a story arc, and the upside was that Barbara's father, Arthur Denton, a homeless but strangely not houseless alcoholic, died of a harmonica-related heart attack. Doctor Strange and billionaire do well Kyle Richmond, aka Nighthawk, headed up to Cobbler's Roost to check in on their non-teammate, and ended up thwarting some evil cultists led by a dude named Van Nyborg. Barbara's mom died of harmonica-triggered nonsense, but that was okay because she was an evil cryptkeeper-looking occultist who wanted to slurp up Val's youth, and also she maybe invented the harmonica ex machina? Anything else? Oh yeah, Val learned that Barbara has an estranged husband named Jack who lives somewhere in town. God zooks! How will the Defenders help Val deal with the fact that her body is now an orphan? What has the Hulk been up to while his non-teammates were in Vermont? And will this issue feature anything half as ridiculous as the Harmonica of Destiny? Stay tuned to find out! Okay, so... Nighthawk gets super pissy that she didn't tell him that the body she now inhabits and had no previous knowledge of was married, and the Hulk punches her, but Steve is surprisingly chill. He's been exploring suburban Connecticut, and there's a dude with a human head on a gorilla body and some light trepanation, so no, not even close. The Thing hops into his science car and tells Steve and Kyle that he had a shitty time teaming up with them and then flies back to New York. By the thing. Steve and Kyle head inside the house that Barbara Norris's late father left to Valkyrie to check in on their kinda sorta recently orphaned non-teammate. They find Val leafing through Barbara's Precious Memories photo album. Only to Valkyrie, it's more like a Precious Lack of Memories photo album, seeing as the Enchantress basically put scotch tape over the holes in the cassette that was Barbara and recorded Val over her much like a certain podcast host once recorded the Ghostbusters soundtrack over his older sister's cassette tape of George Michael's Faith. I regret nothing. Where was I? Oh yeah, so Val is super bummed out that she shares none of the memories of her host body. Kyle is sympathetic and tries to console the amnesiac Asgardian, until she mentions that she found out that Barbara Norris has an estranged husband. When Kyle hears that Miss Norris may have been Mrs. Norris, he flips the fuck out and starts being a total dick to Val. Yeah, how dare she not have mentioned that the body she inhabits with whom she shares no memories once took part in a wedding ceremony that she also doesn't recall. And to withhold that information she didn't have from her co-worker in whom she has never expressed the slightest romantic interest? The nerve of that brazen harlot. Seriously though, fuck you, Kyle. I get that you had a crush, but she doesn't owe you shit. Kyle storms off in an entitled snit and flies back to New York. Meanwhile, in the sleepy suburban town of Westbury, Connecticut, the Hulk is watching some kids play jump rope. He has a very sweet chat with one of the little girls about how much they both like jumping, and the gentle jade giant pats her on her head. Aww. Then the girl's dad runs out of the house and hits the Hulk with a golf club. Uh-oh. Hulk responds angrily by doing one of those things where he smashes the ground and makes an earthquake, which, 
knocks down the protective dad, and destroys his house. Whoops. The little girl yells at Hulk and kicks him in the shin, and the green Goliath tearfully leaps off, devastated by the exchange. Now, clearly, I feel bad for the Hulk in this situation, but it's not like the dad was being that unreasonable. Even if he knew that the Hulk had no intentions towards his daughter, which he didn't, there's still a pretty decent chance that old Jade Jaws pulls a Lenny from of mice and men and inadvertently pets the kid to death. Anyway, one of the onlookers to the suburban carnage is a husky gentleman wearing what appears to be an ill-fitting Dickies jumpsuit. Dude's walking around kind of funny and thinking to himself that it's a good thing that the Hulk didn't wreck his house. Well, yeah, I'd imagine most of the neighbors feel that way. But this misshapen fellow has a different motivation for his relief than mere schadenfraud. It turns out he's an evil scientist whose head was transplanted onto a gorilla's body. <laughs> that old chestnut. His name is Arthur Nagin, and he and his melty-faced science buddy Jerry have been working on some kind of evil science potion in the laboratory in the basement of their suburban house. Fair enough. Arthur Gorilla Body tells Jerry Meltyface that he's found the third member of the team that they'll need to do whatever evil science shit it is that they're looking to do, and that he's waiting for them in New York. Okay. Meanwhile, back in Vermont, Val and Steve head over to the boarding house they have learned that Barbara Norris's husband Jack has been staying in. Val is nervous about meeting the guy, but determined to go through with the awkward conversation. Unfortunately, she is confronted at the door by Jack's overprotective landlady, Mrs. Lafferty, who yells at Barbara for hurting her poor sweet tenant Jack, and essentially calls Val a slut and tells her to hit the bricks. What an asshole. Val is still too emotionally raw after the events of the past few days to deal with that shit, and tearfully requests that Steve Strange magic them back to his sanctum sanctimonious where she can regroup. Steve wordlessly grants her request. Meanwhile, meanwhile... Entitled piece-of-shit bird enthusiast Nighthawk is jetpacking onto the balcony of his penthouse apartment and thinking that Valkyrie's identity crisis and partial amnesia are really inconvenient for him. Fuck you, Kyle. He's surprised to find that his dope-ass ex-girlfriend, a hippie-turned-fashion model named Trish Starr, has let herself into his apartment. Trish, in turn, is surprised to see that her ex-boyfriend, billionaire-do-well playboy Kyle Richmond, likes to dress up like a bird and fly around on a jetpack. So it's a night of surprises all around. The two sit down for a long talk, and Kyle unloads on her all about his adventures as first a Hamburglar, and then a superhero, and about all the shit he's been doing since joining the Defenders. After listening to Kyle exposition dump for several hours, Trish eventually falls asleep. Across town, an exhausted, recently de-hulkified Bruce Banner makes his way to the door of the Sanctum Sanctimonious. Wong is busy in the kitchen, so Steve answers the door himself like a big boy. Good for you, Steve! Barely making it inside the door, the emotionally and physically drained former Hulk collapses into a deep sleep. A few hours later, in a different part of town, our old pals Gorilla Body and Melty Face are meeting up with the third member of their sinister cabal, a turbaned gentleman with a goatee. Well, that's a little anticlimactic. I was kind of hoping he'd have like a, I don't know, a coffee cup for a nose or ears made out of frozen soup or something. Anyway, the new guy introduces himself as Shandu, a disgraced mystic who people accused of faking his mystic powers, only he wasn't. Fair enough. Chandu removes his turban to reveal that he's bald. The horror. 
Mr. Gorilla Body drills a hole into Chandu's dome and straight up pours the science potion Melty Face invented directly onto the dude's brain. Ouch! When the science potion hits Baldo's gray matter, it transforms him from a regular old mystic into a super science mystic. Chandu uses his newfound magical psychic prowess to create an invisible black rain that falls upon the subconscious mind of everyone in New York who is asleep right then. Okay, first of all, which is it? Invisible rain or black rain? Kinda can't be both. But secondly, don't we know some people who have fallen asleep recently? Wonder how they're doing? Turns out not so great. In billionaire-do-well shithead Kyle Richmond's apartment, Trish Starr shrieks a long string of vowels and attempts to fling herself off the balcony. Which, I guess might be the result of the mystical black rain shit, but then again, she did just listen to Kyle talk about himself for like five hours, so let's not leap to any conclusions. Kyle tries to reason with Trish, then tries to snap her out of her frenzied state, but finally is left with no other choice than to slap her unconscious. Really? Okay, that's a weird way to knock someone out. Also, wasn't the fact that she was unconscious the thing that made her susceptible to this mystical mumbo-jumbo in the first place? So, wouldn't being double unconscious make her twice as magically crazy? Or did the two asleep somehow cancel each other out? Or, or did Kyle just slap her to death and that's why she stopped moving? Gosh, I hope not. Trish is rad. Fucking Kyle. Turns out that sleeping people all over the city are just running around in their PJs, jumping out of windows, and generally going berserk and attacking each other. Wait, who was that other asleep person we knew? Oh, that's right. Bruce Banner. Well, shit. The Hulk leaps out of the window of Steve's sanctum and starts going all Street Fighter II bonus stage on a parked car. Strange and Val attempt to calm the raging behemoth, but to no avail. Steve's spells have no effect, and neither do Valkyrie's pleas. Valkyrie charges at her rampaging non-teammate, perhaps with the intent of slapping him unconscious. But that doesn't go so great, and the Hulk punches her into a building. Ouch. Nighthawk is flying over to Steve's place to check if they know what's going on, when he spots our old pal Dr. Gorilla Body using the mayhem as a distraction so that he can rob a jewelry store. Really? That's what all this science and mysticism and trepanation was for? A jewel heist? Okay. Kyle ignores the hundreds of New Yorkers flinging themselves off of buildings and focuses on thwarting this lone property crime. Way to prioritize, Nighthawk. Dr. Gorilla Body smacks Kyle in the face with a sack of diamonds and gorillas away. Okay, I know I shouldn't, but... Hooray! Fuck you, Kyle! Dr. Gorilla Body meets up with Jerry Meltyface and Chandu, and the three drive away, satisfied that the trial run of their nonsense seems to have worked like a charm. All around New York, the maniac sleepwalkers all seem to be snapping out of it and regaining their senses. The alive ones, anyway. Hulk apologizes to Val and feels like a real asshole. Speaking of real assholes, Kyle shows up and fills the gang in on his tussle with Dr. Gorilla Body. They figure the dude was probably connected with the weird shit that went down, but aren't sure how. Stephen Strange wonders aloud if we've seen the last of Dr. Gorilla Body, or if this evening's adventures were merely a prelude to the weirdest menace the Defenders have ever faced. I guess it's the second thing, Steve. Huh. I wonder if that Ghostbusters soundtrack I recorded over my sister's faith cassette 
went through the same sort of soul-searching identity crisis that Val did. I sure hope not. I mean, that poor soundtrack has been through enough over the years. Bustin' used to make it feel good, but now it has to bust just to get to normal. Sorry. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. What'd you think of this comic book? Whoa, there were so many weird things happening. There really were. I really liked it overall. I thought it was a really fun read. I think we are starting to see slightly fulfilled the promise of Gerber's weirdness, but in a more coherent way than the last storyline that he did. Yep. And uh, yeah, there was a lot I liked about this comic book. There was some stuff I did not care for. Yeah. So fuck it. Let's get that out of the way at the top. Worst offender is going to be Kyle, right? Yeah, I just wrote, fucking Kyle. I wrote that twice. (laughs) Yeah, I have that as a discussion point. I just wrote, fucking Kyle. And then just under (laughs) worst offender, I wrote, fucking Kyle. Yeah, that's what I had too. Yeah, let's talk about all the fucked up shit that Nighthawk does in this issue. We'll start with the least fucked up, which is slapping his ex-girlfriend unconscious. Yeah, okay, so his ex-girlfriend... Trish Starr, who used to go by the name Trixie Starr. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can talk more about her later, because she's actually a pretty interesting character. Shandu the Mystic made some subconscious black rainfall into everybody's back of their mind. Who is sleeping. Who is sleeping. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think just within the city of New York. Yep. And that made her go crazy. But it was a little bit hard to tell, because she was using the wrong vowels to be magically crazy. She was sure, going, there were ah. some there were some capital A's, mm-hmm. but then there were also E's and I's in there. That's oh. not how you go crazy. No, it's just O's. a long string of capital A's. Oh, no O's? No O's, just, Corey. Oh, I forgot. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. just capital A's. Ah. Yep. So I was a little bit confused as to what was going on. But yeah, so he's like, I don't want to do this, but I've got to knock her out so that she can't hurt anybody. Herself. Which, or she can't, yeah, so that she can't hurt herself. Yeah. But, okay, first of all, it seems like that would just make her be asleep again, which is how all this nonsense started. That's true. But I guess she's double asleep, which is cool. But the way he decides to knock her unconscious is by slapping her unconscious, which strikes me as a very ineffective way to knock somebody unconscious and just kind of a fucked up thing to do. Yep. Yep. So maybe I was perhaps exaggerating when I said that was the least screwed up thing he did. I don't know, man. It still might be. Because the first thing that we see him do is completely fly off the handle at Valkyrie for having her body, before she became Valkyrie, be married at one point. Mm-hmm. Fuck that guy. No, he gets, he really throws a fit and He throws a town. hissy fit and storms off because his co-worker, who he had a big old crush on but hadn't told her about, other than to when she went to kiss him on the cheek goodbye... He fucking grabbed her and was like, no, this is how I want to kiss you. He throws a fucking hissy fit because the person whose body she is inhabiting, which is not her, Mm -hmm. was married before she met him. Mm -hmm. That she has no recollection of whatsoever. And they weren't in any kind of a relationship. Doesn't know who even the dude is that she was married to and her body was married to. Yeah, but also she doesn't have any kind of... It's not like her and Kyle were even dating. Like... Fuck that dude. That level of entitlement is not, frankly, even surprising, or it shouldn't be. 
But really, really, fuck that guy, man. Nor does it really seem to surprise Steve Strange, because Val's like, oh my gosh, did I sit like, what? What the hell just happened? And Steven's like, didn't you know he has a huge crush on you? <laughs> yes, master of human psychology, Stephen Strange. Uh. But those aren't the only fucked up things that Kyle does. He also, after he slaps his ex-girlfriend unconscious, the city of New York is going crazy. About half of it, the half that was asleep at the time, is just going bonkers and running out of windows and off of balconies and killing themselves and attacking other people. And Kyle is just flying over the city, looking at all of this death and destruction and people hurting themselves and each other. And he's like, yeah, fine. I'm on a tight schedule, so no time to stop any of that. Then he sees a property crime. He sees a guy breaking into a store and is just like, whoa, whoa, I gotta put a stop to this because I'm a superhero. That guy's stealing. Yeah. Fuck you, Kyle. You value humans over fucking property. That's how you do things. So I wasn't crazy about that. I'm flabbergasted that he had the gall to question Trish Starr's calling her crazy, mm -hmm. but specifically calling her crazy because she wants to use her modeling career to save enough money to buy a farm to use as an arts community. Mm -hmm. That seems like a reasonable plan. Sure. It's a plan. And it, you know what it isn't? Hmm. Buying a $4 billion chair for somebody who doesn't even want one. And then kicking it. And then kicking the chair Get and stubbing your toe. Yeah. Or buying a writing academy as a favor, as an unasked for favor for a friend you have a crush on. You know, before you turn on her and start yelling at her for no goddamn reason. Yep. And also, how did Trish fall asleep? He talked her to sleep. <laughs> he talked her to sleep and then says, boy, she was so exhausted she fell asleep mid-sentence after talking all night. She wasn't talking all night. You told her whole story and then she fell asleep because you're boring, Kyle. Boring and mean. Boring and mean, yes. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Ah, fuck Nighthawk. Boom. And so, whatever happened to that brash, young, lovable chum in a pointy beak over his nose who used to explode doors when he walked into a room? I miss that guy. Yeah. Do you think maybe it's like a Samson type thing where all of his coolness was in his bird beak that he wore over his nose? Um, there's really no other explanation. <laughs> I suppose the other possible explanation would be when... All of the other defenders pooled themselves to bring him back to life after he got exploded. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little too much of Steve Strange ended up in the mix. Uh, yeah, maybe. But he's worse than Steve. Oh, yeah. No, he's way worse. Yeah, really. He, you know who he is. Hmm. He's, he's Hawkeye. Yep, basically a Hawkeye replacement. Oh, and Hawkeye was actually part of that mix that brought him back to life, wasn't he? Oh, Wasn't maybe. that before Hawkeye quit the team? Maybe. No, it was after Hawkeye quit. Well, we can just say that it was, and yeah. he got the worst of both. Man, Steve don't... Strange and Hawkeye. If you're going to be a superhero, don't have the word Hawk in your name. No, it's no good. You're going to be an asshole. Maybe and... don't have any kind of bird in your name. Just avoid bird names. No bird names. Yeah. Okay. Noted. If I do go down the superhero route. Yep, just, you know, saying. I won't be don't be the crested grebe. Yeah. I know that was probably what you had your heart set on. The Great Blue Heron. <laughs> That's a pretty tight name. <laughs> that is pretty tight, actually. I'm going to make an exception. You can be the Great Blue Heron if you want. <laughs> okay. 
That's a good name. I saw one the other day. They're very majestic. Yeah. Oh, it's very just, regal. Yeah, I was standing there just checking things out. So I, I dislike Kyle in this issue to the degree that I when I was reading one of the letters that somebody wrote in and they wrote like, ah, oh, Nighthawks are really great, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you're stupid. And then I stopped <laughs> reading the letter. <laughs> he hasn't been that shitty in the past. Like this is really ramping up his shittiness. I know. And, and clearly the kid, or assuming it was a kid, the person who wrote this letter did Had so. not read this issue. Yeah, no. Yeah. But man, I bet after they did, they're like, oh. I hope. I hope so too. I hope because honestly, I think we're supposed to feel a lot more sympathetic towards him than we do. Mm -hmm. like that his kind of behavior especially towards valkyrie i think we're kind of supposed to be like okay well he flew off the handle but poor guy and i think that was how we were supposed to feel about hawkeye too and man no fuck these guys fuck these entitled pricks once again it was a different time when everyone was terrible mm -hmm. gosh well let's move on to some people who are not terrible okay Let's talk about Trish Knee Trixie Star. Okay. So, what'd you think of her? This was the first that I personally had been introduced to her, although I gather she's been around the DCU previously. The Marvel Universe. I, right, Marvel. I did think it odd that when Nighthawk was like, you know, here's what's going on with me. What's been, you know, you got new skeletons in your closet? Mm-hmm. And she's like, ah, oh, just uh, this one, like, creepy uncle thing. But that's not a big deal. And then just, like, lets it drop. If anybody says well, shit like that, you can, you don't just be like, oh, okay, whatever. It doesn't even say creepy. says, well, I've got an evil uncle. Evil, but. Yeah. Yeah. So she does have an evil uncle. Now, you said you got the impression that she'd been kicking around the Marvel Universe a while. Mm -hmm. It does kind of feel that way. Like most of the characters that are introduced in this issue that seem like they may have a fair amount of backstory... She appeared in one issue before. Mm. She showed up in Marvel Feature number five, which was a couple issues after the Defenders debuted in Marvel Feature. And it was a story that featured Ant-Man, Hank Pym, mm -hmm. speaking of entitled pricks in the Marvel Universe. But her evil uncle is a villain named Egghead, who has a head that looks like an egg. <laughs> is he a nerd? Yeah, he's a super nerd. Okay. Uh, he, he's an evil scientist who has a head that's shaped like an egg, who loves science. And he he built a, de a device that would drain her brain power and put it in his. Oh. Because she was a child, a former child prodigy, mm. who got tired of everybody hassling her about what a genius she was. So she ran away and hit the road. Mm. Uh, and she's also a excellent seamstress and is interested in fashion design. And she ended up sewing a new uniform for Ant-Man when he was shrunk down to basically the size of a penny, which Whoa. is pretty fucking impressive. I'll say. And yeah, she's just basically a all-around cool, hippie, runaway super genius that they seem to just kind of be edging away from the super genius thing. But I think she's a really cool character, and I really like her, and I wish we had gotten... A little bit more of a chance for her to talk rather than just be a sounding board for her her ex-boyfriend who incidentally also apparently really bad at maintaining secret identity mm -hmm. 
especially his the whole team the defenders is supposed to be a secret mm -hmm. but his ex-girlfriend shows up at his house and he's like yeah what the heck okay so my name's nighthawk uh i'm really i used to be a villainous super burglar mm -hmm. but now i'm a superhero sort of and my team is the defenders and nobody knows about this team he's telling all of this to his ex-girlfriend who he believes is crazy and untrustworthy Bad move, Kyle. Bad move, Kyle, but fucking Trish Star is dope, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of her. I like also that she calls him man. Yeah, pretty good. Hey, man. Yeah. Don't be such a jerk. And she, and I love when she condescendingly kisses him and says, I can't believe you ever had the gall to call me crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good for her. Good for her. Except for the kissing him part, but you know, whatever. People make decisions. Let's talk about some of the other characters that we meet in this issue. Okay. Let's talk about the headmen. Jerry and... Arthur, Arthur and... Shandu. Oh yeah, Shandu. <laughs> Is it Chandu or Shandu? I was thinking Shandu, but I'm not sure. It's Apparently... Ch 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 okay. Chandu. It can, it can also be a soft CH sometimes. Like Cher. Touché. <laughs> Okay, let's start with Arthur Nagin. Mm -hmm. He was an evil scientist. Well. Who was experimenting on gorillas. Still evil. Sure. Still a scientist. Sure. But he used to have a human body as well as a human head. And apparently, that is no longer the case. Nope. Turns out... It's revenge. <laughs> this is very, very light on the details. And I wasn't able to get a ton of them. But it turns out... That as he was experimenting on some gorillas, they got tired of his bullshit and were like, fuck you, we're going to put your head on one of our bodies. It says in every description of the comic that I read, somehow the apes got super intelligent enough to do science and do this shit. You know, a head transplant. Mm -hmm. So they got intelligent enough to do that, but not so intelligent that they weren't just like, I don't know if this cutting off one of our dude's heads is going to go well for him. Maybe they just had a, a headless body sitting around from his experiments. Maybe. I guess that would make some sense. It doesn't really seem like it's a super punishment. He's actually pretty into having a gorilla body. He thinks it's rad. He had appeared originally in 1954 in, I forget what the comic was. It's like a Strange Tales or a Weird Science or something like that. And that was his story. It was basically like a Twilight Zone type episode. Weird Science? I think that was the name of one of the old comic books. I know you're thinking <laughs> of the Frankenstein reboot uh, starring Anthony Michael Hall and the other Kelly thing. LeBrock. Oh, yeah. And the other guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Bill Paxton, who is great in that movie. Holy shit, is that Chet? Yeah. Chet is Bill Paxton. That's a young Bill Paxton. It is. Dang. But, yeah. So it was basically like a Tales from the Crypt type story where science runs amok. And that was what happened in that one. Jerry also appeared in one of those. His was in 1958. It was another one of those type of comic books. He was a very minor character in it. He was a scientist who was working on some kind of a shrinking gas, and he vented it out of his lab, and it ended up hitting a burglar who was walking by, and then it was the story of the burglar. Mm. His story of why he looks all melty and shit is not part of that story. I think this is his next appearance. After, like, being in a scene where he was just kind of an, a bystander character who was just like, well, this shrinking gas ain't working so good. Better jettison it from my lab. Mm. Do you know the reason he looks all melty? 
Did they explain it in this book? I don't think so. Okay, no, I don't. No. Apparently, the shrinking gas only shrunk his bones. So his bones shrunk in his body, so now he's just got extra skin flapping off of it. That is not good. That is not. Storytelling. Also, he's got, like, a lot of extra skin, but only around his face and neck area. It's also on his fingers when they showed us. Oh. Yeah. But not in a way that makes sense for his bones just being smaller. Also, if it's specifically his head bones that are smaller, that kind of shrinking would crush his brain and he would die. Your brain is inside your head bones. It is. You remember that old song? The brain is inside of the head bones. Yeah, it's from uh, science. Yeah, it's from, uh, yeah, science. Science's greatest hits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My slight workaround to how maybe his brain didn't get totally crushed when his skull shrank is we do see that he has some experience with tree panning. Oh, how do you say it? I don't know. How would you say it? You're the anthropologist. Terra terra panning? Where where is it? Is it throwing some extra vowel? Yeah. Trepanning? I guess it could be trepanning. Only there was some way to look this up. Do you want to stop and look it up? Yes. Okay. Okay, apparently it's trepanning. Yep. So apparently Shandu, or not Shandu, but uh Jerry. Jerry. I forget no. his last name. Arthur was the trepanist. Arthur was doing the trepanning? Maybe yeah. he learned it from Jerry. Because Either way, a hole is drilled in a skull. So maybe they have some experience with that and they were able to make skull holes, which not only opened his consciousness up to the universe, mm. but maybe relieved some of the pressure and kept his brain from getting totally smushed by his skull. Although it seems like then it would still ooze out the skull holes, and it, it doesn't make any sense. Probably only crushed the 90% that he wasn't using. Oh, good thinking. Mm-hmm. Deal. Great science. Also, while we're on the subject, what seemed really strange to me was that Dr. Nagin took his clothes off, or at least his shirt off, before performing this procedure on Chandu, there's a scene in which it shows him taking his shirt off, and the next scene is him drilling into the guy's head. And I'm like, why did he need to do that? Okay, maybe just for, like, greater mobility. Like... Oh, these human clothes don't fit my Don't my fit his gorilla body. body. I mean, he's basically got some dickies on over a gorilla body, and nobody comments on the fact that he's got a gorilla body. Well, he says that people probably look at him with pity, thinking of he's got a weird hunched posture. That is a polite fucking neighborhood he lives in. And we see that there are children around. Nobody has said shit to him. Yeah, and children aren't always polite. No, they're assholes. Mostly. Yeah. Then we have the third member of the Headmen, Shandu. Here's what's weird about that. I get the impression they're called the Headmen because they all have, like, weird heads. Like, Nagin is, like, a human head on a gorilla body. Jerry has a melty head. Mm Mm-hmm. Shandu is bald and has a turban. Mm-hmm. He's getting off pretty light on that. Well, now he's got a hole in his head. And now he's got a hole in his head, which they pour a solution to splash around on his brain, mm-hmm. which gives him super psychic powers. Although he already had super psychic powers. I guess this gives him super, super psychic powers. Oh. Here's Shandu's deal. He first showed up in another one of those, like, pre-Fantastic Four, we're not back into superheroes yet, Marvel comic books. That was another, like, Tales from the Crypt style, like, one-off. He wasn't really a bad guy in that, though. 
he was Shandu. He was a yogi who was going to be doing a lecture. And he got kind of carjacked. And like a thief pulled a gun on him. And so he then basically did exactly what Doctor Strange would do. Mm. Which is he sent the criminal into a catatonic state where he would be stuck in his own personal limbo until he decided to be good and not evil. Mm-hmm. And then he turns the guy over to the police. Mm-hmm. That's Shandu. We meet him, and now he's like, basically, Art and Jerry are like, hey, you want to be evil with us? And he's like, yeah, I want to be evil. Sounds great. It's kind of a weird journey. Also, it seems like the crux, the whole reason for their evil plan is to steal some things. Yeah. That's getting back to this topic that comes up time and time again of needlessly complicated ways yeah. to go about a criminal enterprise. Especially, they are all, like, super genius people. Like, scientists or mystics or whatever they are. They're very powerful. There are legitimate ways where they can make money with their inventions. We see that Jerry apparently invented shrinking shit, like, before Ant-Man did. Mm-hmm. Granted, there are some flaws in the formula, but bone shrinking's probably, you know, useful. Sure. I mean, if you apply it correctly. Yeah. I, I mean, think if he had a patent for his bone shrinking gas, he could probably make a pretty penny. Definitely, like in the cosmetic surgery realm. Yeah. Big, or big boned people could become normal boned. Uh huh. Him and Art could go into the trepping business. Fucking trepping some hippies. Yeah. Open up yeah. their third eyes. Move to Sedona, set up shop. Yeah, man. There's a lot of better ways for them to go about their shit than that. Here's what Shandu gives as his explanation. He says, oh, they called me a faker. That's pretty much it. And then he's like, so I'll show them. I'm wondering if maybe he misheard them and they were calling him a fakir. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. And he just didn't know that word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not a faker. Fakir is mm-hmm. and somebody who eschews property and gives up that basically says they don't need any possessions. They just need their faith in God. Uh, it's also what Sufis are called sometimes. Mm. And it's also G.I. Gurdjieff. Uh, he designated the different ways of people trying to attain enlightenment. Someone who obta- would obtain enlightenment through physical means, he called a fakir. Uh, and I'm probably mispronouncing that. Do you know the pronunciation? Faker. Faker? No, I don't know. Okay. Someone who was attempting enlightening enlightenment through mental channels was was called a yogi, and someone who was attempting to attain enlightenment through emotional means was called a monk. So I'm wondering if he just ran into a Gurdjieff guy and he was just like, are you a yogi or a fakir? And he was just like, I'm not a faker, I'm a yogi. For real, I'm a yogi. I am, I am. And then he's like, oh, now I'm a supervillain. Probably exactly what happened. Okay. What'd you think of the Hulk's adventure? Oh, Hulk, Hulk, Hulk. It went... From so sweet to just typical Hulk. Boy. Getting a bad reaction from people because he's big and green. And then overreacting. Overreacting significantly. Yeah. And what was funny about that, too, is... So the result of his overreacting is the destruction of property to... Yes. A person's house. Yes. And when I first read that, I was like, Oh, man, that guy totally is not going to have insurance that deals with... That sort of a disaster. And that was his reaction as well. It was. I was tickled to read that. And that is very typical of Steve Gerber's shit. He will put in, like, elements of mundanity uh, and have them interact with the superhero universe in a way that is really interesting to me uh, and that I find really funny. 
It did make me think, though, in the Marvel Universe, do you think there is superhero insurance? Like, if... I feel like you should be able to purchase, like, superhero insurance because, like, they do cause a lot of destruction. It's probably more expensive, but he does say, like, unless my, my insurance covers basically the Hulk, I'm screwed. Because it wouldn't be, like, an act of God. No. I mean, unless it's Thor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it made me really wonder if, okay, so if you can buy superhero insurance... Is there a loophole if it's just like, oh, well, actually, when he was doing that, he was more of a villain. Like, if if you got, like, insurance people weaseling their way out of shit, mm-hmm. or just like, well, can you prove that he was a superhero? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a new guy. We haven't heard of him yet. This may not have been a real superhero. Mm-hmm. This may not have been a supervillain. Like, is supervillain insurance more expensive than superhero insurance? Being an actuary in the Marvel Universe must be really, really interesting. Yes. Possibly, possibly, even more interesting than being an actuary in our <laughs> universe. Wow, yeah. Possibly. Possibly. What did you think of Valkyrie's story? Um, you know, it, it kind of was following what we've known to date, and I think all things considered, she's handling it as most people would like it was a bummer why she's is... out. she's handling it really well i think especially in the light of kyle being such an asshole with it too why is old lady lafferty so mean to her do we know that we don't know the old lady lafferty is just a jerk apparently there was some kind of a i guess it was a bad breakup between her and her husband mm. and clearly miss lafferty is taking the husband's side but she's also saying that you're probably going to want a divorce which means that they are not divorced yet so yeah, but Barbara like, is still married if Barbara still exists. Well, man, that's another question for the... Yeah. The well, that wouldn't be an actuary. That would be more of a legal issue, but for yeah. The, for the legal people in the yeah. Marvel Universe. That's the other thing. Like, as soon as he finds out that she used to be married, he starts... Kyle starts calling her Barbara again. And just referring to her as Barbara. That's not fucking Barbara. Like, that's Valkyrie. Like, you wouldn't call Thor Dawn. Kyle's a jerk. He is a jerk. I agree. But yeah, we keep revealing new layers to him being a jerk in this one issue. Mm -hmm. Anything in Doctor Strange's behavior needing to be gone over? Doctor Strange, I think, is fairly typical Doctor Strange. There was an interaction that he had where the doorbell rings, and it's the Hulk. Mm -hmm. And Clea's like, should we get the doorbell? And he's like, hmm, oh, yes, that's right. Wong's in the kitchen. And Valkyrie, we've done all we can for her. So, yes, let's go answer the door. Mm-hmm. I really like distracted Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one that we see a fair amount. And, frankly, I like it a little bit less because we generally see it when women are talking to him. But the the idea that part of Doctor Strange's particular brand of arrogance is the distracted like constantly lost in his own thought dr strange i kind of like that there was something about that panel that i read steven someone's at the door hmm oh yes we'd best answer it wong is occupied getting dinner and we can do no more for val it seemed like he he was making a big concession that it's just like i being the hero that i am will answer my own door Good on you, Steve. 
how do you work this thing? <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's never really come up before. <laughs> Wong! <laughs> Wong, how do you work this infernal contraption? This doored knob? Anything else before we get into the minutiae? No. Well then, Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. What do you feel like starting with? Let's see, we already got Worst Defender out of the way. Yes, Worst Offender is clearly Kyle Richmond, Nighthawk. Yep. And yes, we have already covered it in great detail, but I would just like to reiterate... Fucking Kyle. Mm. Conversely, who did you have as the best defender? Boy, this issue, not a lot of superhero action stuff really took place. Right. There was Nighthawk's fight with... Right. And, and he's a... With the he's, gorilla man. He's, he's the worst offender, so I can't give him credit for that. So I had to look for other things. Mm -hmm. um, Hulk really kind of overreacted he, too much yes, and destroyed he a destroyed family's. a stranger's house and he also went berserk and tried to kill everybody in new york mm -hmm. yep. so really not putting his best foot forward there no so due to the heroics of answering his very own door wow like a big boy like a big boy i give the nod <laughs> to steve strange <laughs> i decided to go with valkyrie uh i think she's bearing up remarkably well in the face of all of these revelatory things I enjoyed her going through her scrapbook and seeing all of the photographs of Barbara Norris as a young child. Mm -hmm. And that has to be a real mindfuck, like having all of these non-memories of your youth or your body's youth. And I think that she's dealing with it pretty well. And even after going through that and even after Kyle flipping out on her for no goddamn reason, she still was like, I don't want to do this, but uh, I think the mature thing to do is to try to confront my body's husband Mm -hmm. and see what his his deal is and then in addition to that and this is definitely what put it over the top she took a punch to the face from the hulk yeah and is okay yeah and she... that though also is the reason why i did not choose her as the best is because her reaction to hulk freaking out was to get out her sword and charge at him yeah that's val and i'm glad we get that val back mm. Uh, and, I mean, she wasn't attacking him, but she wanted to confront him and be like, hey, if you want to go down this road, we can go. And I feel like lately they've been kind of depowering Valkyrie and making her seem weaker and taking a punch from the Hulk and being okay. Good for her, man. That's tough stuff. Man, can you imagine Stephen Strange's reaction to when Val attacks him? Like, of course, he's like, no, that's the wrong thing to do. But what he's really thinking is like, not in the sanctum. <laughs> <laughs> this is where all my dope stuff is. Outside. Take they are outside. Oh, I thought that was that was inside the house. No, they're in the street. Oh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Never Let's mind. take a look. Yeah. First thing Hulk does is jump out the window and then he's smashing a car. Oh, that's right. Okay, well, the Sanctum is safe. Huzzah! What was your favorite sound effect? I had two. Okay. There were maybe only two sound effects in the whole comic book. That is possible. That that sounds right to me. Uh, I did find one of them pretty fun, though. Which Does it start with a soft ch sound? Or it a starts hard? with a hard ch sound. Ah. 
Yeah, I had that one also on page 31. There is a nice chash, chash, which is the noise it makes when Nighthawk takes a face full of a sack of diamonds. Mm -hmm. Man, that's got to hurt. Good thing it was at night. Yeah, when him. he has the strength of two strong men. Mm -hmm. What a lame power. It is pretty lame. Uh, what was the other sound effect that you liked? The other one I liked was on page 31 also, and it was Womp! <laughs> yeah, Womp is okay. It's part of the same fight. Not as good in my book as Chash! Yep. Especially because it's cash that he's getting hit with. Mm -hmm. And it probably made a kind of a tinkly sound. Yeah. Chash! Mm -hmm. Pretty great. Pretty great. Every issue of a Defenders comic book has a character who's just gotta be a sucker, as the fat boy said in the classic film Crush Groove, and act in a way that is contrary to their previously established motivation, in a way that furthers the plot. In this issue, who just had to be a sucker? I'm gonna go back to Strange opening his own door. Okay, fair enough. And that is very out of character for him. He did have a few moments. He also... After basically the thing was just like, well, this adventure sucks. I didn't like being part of it. Bye. He effusively thanked the thing and wished him well in his travels, which I did consider him as my sucker for that moment. But then I was just like, that could also just be him not listening to what the thing is saying and imposing his own narrative over it. Mm -hmm. Where he's like, oh, he was talking. He was probably thanking me for doing a good job. I will thank him as well. Yep. And also, he noticed Val's emotional state. That is true. And even brought it up with Nighthawk. He was like, wow, Val seems really bummed out about not knowing who she is. <laughs> That's the other thing, though. He says specifically... Ever since our fight with Van Nyborg the Cyborg this morning, she's been very upset. It is early afternoon. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, for the past 20 minutes, she's been very withdrawn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah he's I, very perceptive. Yeah. That was also <laughs> out of character. Yeah, I, I agree. Who was your sucker? I went with Chandu. He, his only previous appearance, he was a hero. I think... His confusion over the word fakir is perhaps not enough to turn him from a Doctor Strange-style hero into a Doctor Strange-style villain. It, it just seemed a little bit forced. So yeah, I decided to go with Shandu. Although the same could really be easily said of Jerry, who had previously just been a regular old scientist without a ton of evil up in him. Mm -hmm. And I think to a certain extent, uh, Bruce was in the running for me, Bruce Banner being particularly fraught and emotionally drained after that exchange as the Hulk. It seems like most of the Hulk's interactions go that way. Mm -hmm. I think if he's going to just be thoroughly drained and exhausted after every encounter like that, we would see a lot more of him in that state. But I decided to go with Chandu. Fair enough. Man, Chandu's plan, I, it, it's, it's a stupid plan. Hmm drill a hole in the dude's head, pour magic juice all over his brain, and then have him reach out psychically and make the whole city go crazy with a invisible black rain over sleeping people? To rob a jewelry store. To rob a jewelry store. Yeah. That's a bad plan. Yeah. Dumb. Yeah. What were your favorite words in this issue? My favorite words in this issue, I think, came from Val. 
Okay. And it's when she's going over the family scrapbook and, you know, kind of ruminating on all these experiences that her body has had that she doesn't remember. And she philosophizes how many experiences must combine before their sum can be called a person? That's pretty deep, man. Yeah. Pretty deep. Pretty deep. Uh, I really did enjoy that thing where she's looking over her her scrapbook and seeing her memories, especially when she's she's a baby in a diaper hugging a dog. Mm-hmm. That's really sweet. My favorite words, I, man, there's a couple. I, I, I'm going back and forth. One of them is, I did think it was pretty funny, the dude's reaction after the Hulk smashed his house. Hulk smashes the dude's house, and he says, Duh. Do you realize that unless we're insured for destruction by green monsters, we now hold a 30-year mortgage on a pile of rubble? I'll be 64 years old when we own our own nothing. Kind of sad. Pretty sad. But also pretty good. Mm -hmm. In the previous panel, we are first introduced to Arthur Nagin, and he is thinking, Fortunate that Bratz crying stopped him. Had he ripped open my house? At this point, that just looks like a bystander. And I really liked the idea that that's just a suburban dad thinking that. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, yeah, some people are annoyed by kids. And yeah, some people are selfish. I I thought that was what was happening. I was disappointed when I found out he was, in fact, a supervillain who was doing like scientific experiments in his basement and shit. Mm -hmm. But I, I did enjoy that. My favorite, though, is a very sweet exchange between the Hulk and a little girl. And the Hulk is saying he's noticed a girl has been jumping rope and he's been watching them. And Hulk says, little girl jumps good. Not good as Hulk, but Hulk is not as pretty as little girl. And the little girl says, I think you're pretty, mister. I never met anyone green before. Mm -hmm. It's really sweet before the dad ruins it by, you know, trying to hit. The Hulk with a golf club. Mm-hmm. Poor guy, though. I think it's a, kind of a reasonable reaction. Yes, it is the Hulk, but essentially it is a giant stranger palming his daughter's head in his front yard. Mm-hmm. I think it's reasonable for him to be upset, and the Hulk definitely overreacts. Yep. But yeah, that was, that was my favorite words. What was your favorite panel? It was what you just described, but it was a kind of two-part thing that i called happy hulk slash sad hulk and happy hulk is on page 10 and it's the scene where where the little girl is telling him he's pretty and he looks very pleased Mm -hmm. and then on page 11 he's wiping a tear from his eye as she's telling him what a jerk he is and she's crying too yeah saying yeah very sad yeah quite a contrast though how quickly things can change indeed indeed in the blink of an eye I think my favorite panel is the one before the discussion where it is just the Hulk watching some kids play jump rope and smiling at them. Mm-hmm. It is very, very sweet. My next favorite panel is one that I like to call Payamas, <laughs> which is, of course, probably Spanish for pajamas. Probably. Eh, como se dice... Pantalones de la noche. Yeah. Payamas. Okay. That's Spanish, right? Sure. Pants of the night. Thank you for translating, sir. Pajamas. Got it. Good. But it's just a bunch of people wearing their pajamas running around like crazy people because they are now crazy people because a invisible black rain fell on them while Mm -hmm. they were sleeping. Right. But 
I just like people running around in their pajamas and jumping out of windows and shit. It was pretty cool. Pretty cool indeed. <laughs> I had a, a backup favorite panel too on page 31 that I called Womp. But it's uh, one of the more kind of graphic designy panels. And it's uh, the ape doctor getting getting smashed on the head by Kyle. And yeah. He's all red. That's so true. They're both all red. Everybody's all red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. Going where Doctor Strange is doing a spell is pretty nice, too. Mm-hmm. A lot of cool stuff happening. It's a, it's a really nicely drawn issue. I, I enjoy it. I like seeing Sal Buscema's art. I always do. He's got a new inker, uh, Sal Trapani, who seems to be doing a pretty good job. Pretty good. Pretty good. Sartorially speaking, what fashion elements would you like to cover? Sure. I thought it interesting that it seemed to me Val in her civilian garb and Trish had a really similar kind of thing going on which are both um kind of a monotone where they have these pants that are one color and a blouse that is a the same color but a different shade mm. and uh trish is green on green and val is blue on blue yeah kyle kyle's got a type that he finds attractive mm. good to know but uh especially trish's get up is very 70s looking with this like kind of kind of like hippie chic yeah and a green color that you just probably would not generally see people wearing yeah. these days it's, it is a good look i had the previously mentioned bayamas scene mm-hmm. pinstripe yeah pinstripe pajamas mm-hmm. looking good um i thought that mrs lafferty's outfit was worth commenting upon she is wearing a it's a flowery dress with a apron just very like stereotypical old woman house coat from I would say more like the, the 60s than 70s. But when we first see it, the apron that she has in front of her house dress looks kind of like a giant white tick. Oh, I hadn't seen it that way. Like the ruffles look a little bit like they're just little legs sticking off. And I was like, oh, that tick's draining all of the blood out of that woman. Oh. And she's such a jerk to Val. I'm like, good, I hope that tick drinks all her blood. Wow. <laughs> Don't cross my friends, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Throw a giant... Albino tick on you. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting was Arthur Nagin's dickies that he is wearing over his gorilla body, mm-hmm. which remarkably obscure most of his gorilla body. Mm-hmm. This seems like it would be a, a incredibly ineffective disguise. Mm-hmm. Like, you are not going to look like a human. I think it would be a better disguise if he just put on a gorilla mask over his human head. Oh. And that was just like... I'm a guy dressed as a gorilla. Mm-hmm. Like maybe like put a, a bad, phoenix... a bad gorilla mask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just like put like a Phoenix Suns jersey over it and then he can slam dunk. Oh, good. Good call. Yeah. The, uh, the Phoenix Suns mascot is a gorilla who can slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make a ton of sense. Nope. It's a weird mascot choice. It is. Yeah. But I think that's what Dr. Nagin should wear. Fair enough. Phoenix Suns. He's got to move to Phoenix though. Yeah, I bet he can. Okay. It'll be good. It'll nice. be good for his, uh, well, I don't He's got know. money now. He's got money now. I think gorillas like hot weather. They generally like uh, not a dry heat like you would find there. But it would be good for his sinuses. Mm. He's got a human head. Yeah, that's Probably true. has sinus problems. Oh, yeah. Most humans do. Exactly. Well, then. Let's find out what was happening in March of 1974 when a certain member of our team... Mm. took the Wong way home. <laughs> okay. Corey, what was Wong up to 
in March of 1974. Well, it may surprise you to know that Doctor Strange was really quite excited that Jefferson Starship, who built this city on rock and roll... They sure did. ...were starting their very first tour in March of 1974, and as a surprise for Wong, got some tickets. Oh! Wong hates Jefferson Starship. I bet there was a division between them where Wong kind of liked Jefferson Airplane. Yep. But... Stephen Strange was just like, what is this crap? Mm -hmm. And then finally Jefferson Starship came out and he was like, now this is music. Yeah, it's really got a groove. (laughs) And so Wong had to make up essentially this whole elaborate thing about his uncle was sick and he had to go to China to help his cousin on the farm. (laughs) And so towards the end of the month, uh, March 29th, he was... He actually went and took all his money, saved it up, bought a ticket, flew to Xiong, China, and he did, in fact, have a cousin there. And he's like, well, I'm here. Might as well make the most of it. And um, I've been reading up and, you know, he's a fan of popular mechanics and such. Uh And was like, okay, we're going to terrace the shit out of this landscape and just make it the most efficient farm we can. Not totally in his wheelhouse. And there were some miscalculations which triggered an enormous mudslide. Oh, geez. Yeah. However... The happy accident of this enormous mudslide was actually something that has, uh, you may even have seen them in in modern museums. Um, It uncovered the 8,000 clay warriors that were buried to guard the the tomb of China's first emperor, Qin Shi Huang. The terracotta warriors? Yeah, all 8,000 of them. Wow. And that's... uh, He was very surprised to (laughs) find himself down there. But that's... uh, that's... What Wong was up to. All because Jefferson Airplane decided to rebrand. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yep. So we have Grace Slick to thank for the uncovering of... Have we talked on the show before warriors. about the fact that I think that Grace Slick and Grace Jones should trade names? Oh, no. But that's a Shouldn't good point. they? That makes... Yeah. Actually. Like, Grace Jones should totally be named Grace Slick. Mm-hmm. And Grace Slick, who cares if she's named Grace Jones? That's fine. Yeah, she can still rock. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, and that is what happened when a certain someone took the Wong way home. (laughs) Yeah, and man, was it a Wong way away. Well, that was perhaps part of what Wong was up to in March of 1974. But part of what he was up to was also, as we see in this issue, he was in the kitchen, working hard, Mm. not able to answer the door. Nope necessitating Stephen Strange to take the heroic and uncharacteristic action of opening his own goddamn doorknob. Mm -hmm. And what Wong was working on so diligently was trying to create the perfect peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Mm. So in March of 1974, Jif had just introduced (laughs) extra crunchy peanut butter. Oh, and Wong was like, I gotta, I gotta find the right jam to work with this. So he was using some of his uh, mystical studies to mm. help accentuate this. And he's like, okay, I need fresh raspberry jam for this. I'm going to make the jam myself. Just, It's just got to be perfect. He's kind of a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. So he used his powers and he summoned raspberries <laughs> no, to his kitchen. <laughs> But he accidentally summoned the band, the Raspberries, <laughs> to his kitchen, who, probably best known for their hit, uh, Go All the Way. 
really like the raspberries, actually, by the way. Mm. But he summoned them to his kitchen, and then he was like, oh, no, that's not what I wanted. And he instantly sent them away. Mm-hmm. Well, that had repercussions, though, because they didn't know that he was trying to make a sandwich. Mm-hmm. And so the raspberries are like, some dude summons them to his kitchen and then says, these raspberries are no good, and sends them away. They're like, oh, are we no good? And... In March of 1974, the band The Raspberries broke up mm. because Wong was trying to build the perfect sandwich using Jeff Extra Crunchy Peanut Butter. Oh, man, butterfly effect. Yeah, no kidding. But he did make a really good sandwich. Oh, that's good. Uh, personally, I prefer creamy, but... Well, only one way to we'll have to have a sandwich making time. We will have to have a sandwich making time. Mm-hmm. I, my magic skills are not where they should be for that, though. Well, good. You won't be responsible for the implosion of any rock bands. That we know of. Mm. And that is what happened (laughs) when Wong took the Wong way home. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. This was a lot of fun to record. Mm -hmm. I hope you had a safe and spooky Halloween. Oh, yeah. Happy Halloween. Yeah. And that everything is great in your neck of the woods. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com for all your contacting us needs. If you'd like to get into touch with us, <laughs> you can listen to our forthcoming podcast, Getting Into Touch with Hub and Corey, in which we explore tactile sensations. Ah, if you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, which I guess they want us to call Apple Podcasts now, but I'm not going to, mm. uh, then you can do that. Uh, leave us a review. That would be nice and, and helps people get more ears on the program. Uh, if you'd like to give us some money, well, heck, I think that'd be a great thing to do. I, w- I would love to have some money. We work pretty hard on the podcast and it's nice to know that it is appreciated. You can do that at patreon.com backslash Wasteland and... If you would like to do anything else, then you should do that, man. I'm not here to stop you. You do you. Have fun. Be yourself. It's your thing. Be free. Do what you want to do. Yeah. I'm not here to tell you who to sock it to. No. No. If you want me to love you, maybe I will. It's It's your thing. It's your thing. (laughs) Man, I wish Kyle had taken the Isley Brothers' advice. Oh, so many times. So many times. God. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and they know it. Is that lady? Lovely lady. <laughs> Who's that lady? <laughs> I wish somebody would, I don't know, introduce me to her. <laughs> I was talking about like conversational song lyrics before. Mm. Uh, I think one of my favorites is Edge of Seventeen, mm. the Stevie Nicks one. I don't know. I, I like to one. picture the, you. I think oh. you'll know the lyrics, but uh, I like to picture her just being like, just like a white winged dove. Sings that song. Sounds like she's saying, woo, woo, woo. Oh. <laughs> but one of my other favorites is picturing the other half of the conversation that James Brown is having in the monologue for Sex Machine. <laughs> where, where he's just like, I just, I want to get up and do do my thing. He's like, yeah, okay. You know, like, uh, like, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, you know, moving, doing it. Like, uh, like, uh, 
like a sex machine. Mm. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Didn't see you going there with that one. Mm. So, you mean like a dildo? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you have fun. James the Simeon Brown. <laughs> Corey, I don't like to brag, but I got a lot of maps to the zoo. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's just one of them. Okay. Well, I won't be as careful with it. I guess technically it's a map of the zoo, not a map to the zoo. <laughs> that would be funnier <laughs> if I had a lot of those. <laughs> why is that so funny i don't know i think maybe just because it makes you think that, like i just sit around and draw maps to the how to get to the zoo from my house how to get to the zoo from my friend's house most efficiently exactly you... different traffic times yes as i worked the other day and at the lost and found there was a orange and black handkerchief mm. used handkerchief it wasn't used. It was like nice, brand and, new. Yeah, like what, like all folded and stuff. Uh, but it made me wonder, like you know, like the flagging thing that, like, you put a thing in your back pocket and it means different. Like a, a different colored handkerchief in your back pocket means different things. Like like gang stuff. Uh, more like uh sex stuff. Oh, I didn't know about that. Oh yeah. Well, I was wondering if um having a black and orange one was like a Halloween themed one, or it means like if you have that. A black and orange handkerchief hanging out of your back pocket. Mm. It means I am a spooky skeleton who will play my own ribcage like a xylophone for cash. If that's what you're into. That's probably what it means. It's either that or butt stuff. <laughs> oh, oh, you want to start recording? <laughs> it's, it's a... I mean, I've been recording all of this. Oh, obviously. Well, for good. posterity. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? <sighs> ah, that's a hot drink. Mm-hmm. You ready? <laughs>